0: Good evening, we're going to be reading God's Word uh, from 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, Uh, and I'm going to be starting at verse 35 and going to the end of that chapter, so if you could look up your Bibles or your apps, for those of you at home, if you could uh, look up your Bibles, that'd be great. 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another. And fish another. The, the, there are also heavenly bodies. And there are earthly bodies. But the splendour of the heavenly bodies is of one kind. And the splendour of the, of the earthly bodies is of another. The sun... Has one kind of splendour, the moon another, and the stars another. And stars differ from star to star in splendour. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour, it's raised in glory, it's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. I declared to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must uh, clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain.
1: Well, good evening. Wow. Good evening, everybody. Uh, Nice to see you all here this evening. Thanks, Rami, for reading the Bible there. That was quite a long passage. Thanks, brother. We are going to dig into God's Word. Um, Yeah, I I thought it was really cool being able to hear Ash and Kaz, and I've got to hear them a few times today. And each time it's very encouraging to know that we're part of a a much larger community and people who are trying to share the gospel across the world and to know that they're our partners and we're partners with them is a really beautiful thing, both globally and, and locally. And so I hope that you do continue to keep them in their prayers and think about how we, too, can be on mission alongside them. But as we approach God's word, uh, it is important that we pray. So please pray with me. Our good and gracious God, we thank you so much uh, that you sent the Lord Jesus to us, that he died on that cross, uh, that he rose again in victory. And thank you that uh, we know about him through your word, and that you've given us your Holy Spirit. God, we pray that as I preach your word, it will be glorifying and faithful to you, and that it will be used to build up this group of body believers here to your glory, and that you'll spur us on for the work of your kingdom and to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, tonight, we're going to talk about the future. Now, I realize that's a little bit presumptuous, you know, as the saying goes, we only could be confident of death and taxes. But we actually think about the future quite a lot. Even like just little things. You know, we think about little plans we're gonna do or goals that we have. Uh, we think about, you know, I want to finish uni in a few years, or I'm gonna buy a home in a few years. We think about the future regularly. And actually as we think about the future, uh, it shapes what, what we do in the present because of what we expect to happen. And the more confident we are of something that's going to happen in the future, the more we we actually let it inform our decisions in the present. Say, for example, you've bought a holiday, and you're going to go on a holiday in a few months' time, you put down a deposit, but you haven't paid for the full thing yet. In the next few months before you actually have to pay that full thing, you're going to make sure you live a lifestyle that doesn't use all that money that you need to pay for that deposit. That future thing that's going to happen shapes how you live your lifestyle in the present. Or it could be something a bit more horrendous or serious, like when we hear of someone who has a terminal illness, we hear of them having like a bucket list or things they want to do uh, before that future meets them. So we know from our experience, whether subconsciously or consciously, that the future, what we know about the future, shapes our lifestyle in the present. Now, I've given a bunch of examples there which are kind of like close to to the present, right? But what about when we die? Like, What does that future have in store for us? When we think about our future, about when we're going to die, what is it you think of? And how is it that that shapes you here in the present? Now, I love, I know most of you guys love you, and I know that we love the Lord Jesus, and so we can probably easily and quite, very confidently, rattle off, you know, we're in Christ, so we're going to be raising glory, go to heaven. And that's a good thing. I'm not going to break any new territory in sharing anything new like that tonight. But we're going to be talking about our bodies. What does the future look like for our bodies? Now, thankfully, the Bible has a little bit to say about that. Uh, and we had that read for us before, and that's what we're going to explore together tonight. Because if you've been in church here for the last, uh, especially last week, and we had Easter before we've been looking at the resurrection. First, we looked at Jesus' resurrection, and then we continue through 1 Corinthians uh, 15 in this little mini-series looking at the resurrection. And we're planning ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because this is like one of the most extended discussions we get on the resurrection itself. So to kind of catch us up uh, where we're up to in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first part of it, if you've got your Bibles open... Uh, It talks about the things that are of first importance. Paul, he talks about this is the gospel, that Jesus was crucified, he was buried, he rose again, uh, that the tomb was empty, there was heaps and heaps of witnesses. Now, that passage teaches us heaps and heaps of stuff, but it teaches us that the resurrection is a fact, uh, that Jesus did rise from the dead, and it changes everything. And then we had Billy, who preached to us last week and did a wonderful job Looking at verses 12 through to 34. And in that section in 1 Corinthians, Paul is saying that the resurrection is like the foundation of our faith. It is crucial to everything uh, that we hold to. And Christ is also the first fruits of the resurrection. And if we're in Christ, all those that are in him Christians, we too will be raised from the dead. And that's kind of where we're up to now in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We've explored that the dead will rise again. But now we've got to understand how is it that the dead rise again? Now Paul in a very lovely way preempts that question and he says, But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Oh, I think that's a pretty fair enough question. I don't know about you. Coming off the back of the dead will rise? It sounds a pretty fair enough question. Like how is it that this is even going to happen? Or what's it look like? Like do we just rise again from the dead? But then we die again, then rise again. Do we have this kind of circle reality of, of life and death? Or like when we rise again, like what, what age do I get to come back at? Like I liked being 22, that was quite a good age. Do I get to have that again? Or like what kind of features do I have? You know, do I, I've got some features I'd rather not have. Do I have to come back with them again? Like what is this new resurrection all about? And what does Paul say? How foolish... That's a bit harsh. When I was reading this the first time, I'm like, come on, Paul. I didn't think there was anything, any such thing as a silly question. Uh, but he seems to think so, and he calls it quite foolish. What is going on here? Why is this question foolish? I think it's helpful to think about what goes on behind the question. Like we know, when we ask a the question, there's, there's always like something that kind of unpins the question, or there's an ulterior agenda. Now, for the Corinthians... They had a particular understanding about the spiritual and the material. And they thought the spiritual was far better than the material. And so when Paul is talking about this physical resurrection, in the Corinthians worldview, they're like, that doesn't make a lot of sense, Paul. We don't want any of that. Um, How can the physical inhabit the spiritual realm, the heavenlies? How can that be? And on top of that, physical resurrection, it wasn't part of their experience. They'd heard about Jesus, and they placed their faith in him. But physical resurrection is the thing that just happens. It's kind of beyond their worldview. And basically, they can't fathom it to be a thing. So maybe they're just dismissing it as impossible. When the first European settlers came to Australia, uh, they came across a pretty peculiar animal uh, called a, a platypus. Now, when the Europeans found this animal, uh, they too thought it was a pretty amazing kind of creature, so they got one, and they preserved it, and they sent it back to, to their European friends, and do you know what the Europeans thought of it? They thought it was a fake. They thought it was a joke. They thought it couldn't be real. How could something with a duck, bill, and webbed feet, that's a mammal that lays eggs, but it has a pers- poisonous spore on its legs, like that just doesn't exist, Right? In their categories of what an animal could be, it just didn't work. They couldn't fathom it, so they said it must be impossible. But we know it's true. We've seen it. Platypuses are real. And there's probably something very similar going on for the Corinthians here. They're limiting God. They're confining what God can do into their own categories. What they conceive could happen, they limit God to that. That's what makes the question foolish when you put limits on God. you not only think, but you only allow your mind to go within your own categories. That's not wise, it's foolish. Because as gracious as God is in giving us as humans an incredible capacity to do amazing things, God far exceeds us. Far, far, far exceeds us, in His grandeur, in His majesty, in his creativity in his being. And for the remainder of this section, Paul, though, he's not like rebuking of the Corinthians. He wants to like lovingly teach them, wants to like inform them and give them the right view of what this uh, resurrection is about, what this kind of creativeness and grandeur of God, his plan for the redemption of our bodies. And I'm going to break it up into three sections, and there's three kind of guiding questions I think are going to be helpful for us as we go. What kind of resurrection body is possible? That's kind of the first part that Paul talks about. Then, secondly, we'll look at what will the resurrection body be like? In what way will it be different to this current body that we have? And then when will the resurrection body be a reality? And so we'll charge through this section with those three things in mind. So firstly, what kind of resurrection is possible? Like, in other words, how should we begin to correctly conceive and understand what our resurrection bodies would be like? Now, Paul starts with an analogy of a seed. And it got me thinking about, uh, you know those little Woolworths uh, discovery garden things? Some nods. Yes? Good. Okay. But you get in Woolworths, you, you get these, like, tiny, tiny seeds. If you've seen them, they're seriously tiny. A little bit of soil, you put it in there, uh, and they you know, as plants do, the seed turns into this wonderful plant. Flowers turn into flower, basil turns into basil. And it's this amazing transformation that happens because of this seed. A basil seed, insignificant as it looks, dies and then turns into this basil plant. It's completely transformed. And so that's what Paul was saying. He says, verse 36, "...what you sow does not come to life unless it dies." When you sow, you don't plant the body that it will be. You don't plant a basil plant. You plant a basil seed. But just as a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else, God gives it a body just as he's determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives it its own body. The point here is that God can transform our bodies. Something that looks extremely unlikely, he can transform it into something beautiful, purposeful, incredible. If our natural bodies were a seed, he could transform it beyond our imagination. Like you imagine my little daughter, Aaliyah, who's three. When she sees that seed for the first time, she doesn't know it turns into a plant. There is no way she would have any comprehension that that tiny little insignificant seed could turn into something quite beautiful as a a flower or a, a herb tree, bush. Can't conceive it, but it's a reality. And that's what Paul is trying to get us to see. Although we might not be able to conceive it, this is what God has in store for us, the transformation of our bodies. We can't do it, only God can. And Paul, he wants to develop and and expand uh, this analogy a bit further, and he goes on. He says, not all flesh is the same. People like us, we got one kind of flesh. Uh, Birds have another, fish have another, and there's also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, and they have different kinds of splendor. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon has another, the stars have another, and stars from stars have another. All different bodies. And all these different bodies are all suitable for their own environment. You need Fish are for the sea, birds are for the air, stars are for for space, the right body for the right environment. Paul is saying here that God has made all sorts of bodies in the past, all perfectly suitable to their environment. And that's what he's going to do again for the Christian. The overall point that Paul is trying to make here is that there is a new transformed body that's going to happen for the Christian. He will resurrect us and then give us this new transformed body which will be perfect for the eternal environment. So don't be foolish. And don't try to limit the capacities of what God can do. Now that brings us to the second question to ask. Which is, what will this resurrection body be like? What way is it going to be different? We've established that it's going to be transformed, uh, but in what kind of actual ways is it going to be different? And we get to verse 42. Now, I think verse 42 is just magnificent and beautiful. And it says this, Like, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is so perishable will be raised imperishable. The body, it is raised, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but is raised a spiritual body. Like, isn't that just the most glorious image? Like, that is an incredible, beautiful image of what we have to look forward to. But amongst that, Paul is recognizing that our bodies are not there yet. Our bodies, as we know them right now, what you and I are experiencing are perishable. We are weak. We decay. We get sick. We die. Our bodies don't function exactly how we want them to do all the time, and they get worse. (laughs) Good on you, mum. But that's not our destiny that God has for us. The Christian will be raised in this glorious state, imperishable in power, glorious, eternal, with no more fear of pain, no more pain itself, no more sickness overcoming you. perfected bodies that are in the image of the glorious Christ Himself, as it says in Philippians chapter three. Like I wish I could just paint for you this amazing image, but it actually doesn't exist yet. There's nothing that's gone from being perishable to imperishable. It hasn't happened yet, but it will happen. And Christ will make it a reality for us. The other thing to pick up from this little section is that there is continuity and there is also discontinuity between now and our resurrection uh, and the bodies that we will have. Did you notice there it said it was whatever it was, it was sown and then it was raised. Sown, perishable, raised, imperishable. To draw on the seed analogy again, there is... Discontinuity and continuity, right? Um, The basil seed becomes a basil plant. The seed and the plant are completely different, transformed, but it's still basil. It's not like we're upgrading from an iPhone 12 to an iPhone 13. Chuck out the 12 and get the 13. No, it's not like that. It's not like we're Optimus Prime where we kind of come out performing this amazing thing. It's not like that either. It's not deep within us. It's more like a seed that God grows. Our, seed, our bodies will be completely transformed. And we can be confident, 100% confident, that he will take this perishable body and turn it into something imperishable. Completely transformed and new. Now the next section in this passage, um, verses 45 through to 49... Has some quite really rich theology about uh, moving from the person of in Adam to in Christ. You may have uh, When you read it, we'll talk about uh, the man from heaven or the, the, the second Adam, heavenly man. That's referring to Jesus, referring to Christ. Uh, we're not going to go into a detail, but I just want to make a couple quick comments here. All this transformation, all this kind of incredible things that's going to happen, is because we become in Christ. We currently have the physical form of Adam. We're humans, prone to decay as we were just talking about. But one day we will become like the glorious, risen, imperishable Christ. We will bear his image fully. We'll go from bearing the image of Adam to completely, fully bearing the image of Christ. We have the Holy Spirit now and transformation into his likeness has begun. But we will be completely in his likeness with no resemblance of the sinful or decaying life anymore. And what does that all mean for us? What does that that mean? All that future talk, what does that mean for the here and now? Why is it significant? There's there's heaps of things that, that we can draw from it. But I think just on the most basic level, if you're a Christian, you have something incredible to look forward to, something absolutely amazing. A time where there is no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering, no more fear, no more saying goodbye to loved ones, no more feeling of being weak, no more knowing that you're going to be weak, no tiredness to hinder you, no more aches, no more pains, no more trips to the doctors. Like The doctors, they do an incredible job here at the moment. We're so thankful for the doctors. I don't know what they're doing in heaven. They're going to be doing something amazing, but our bodies are perfect. They won't need to be healed anymore. And the pain of this world, it will end. But not just end, it gets replaced with joy. It gets replaced with something that's glorious. The trials that we endure for the sake of Christ and the fact that we live in the fallen world because of sin, it will be replaced with glory. It will end. It is not forever. This transformed body is something incredible to look forward to. So encourage one another. Encourage us, this is what, Christian, you have to look forward to. Spur one another on that we will be united with God one day, perfect in his imperishable, glorious kingdom. Let it spur you on. And that brings us to the the third point, uh, the third thing to investigate, which is when will this resurrection body, when will it become a reality? Now, we know that Jesus says in the Gospels, we don't know the day or the hour. It's going to come like a thief in the night. I'm not going to speculate on when Jesus is going to come. Don't know. But he will come back. But Paul gives us some pretty helpful things about what will happen on that day when uh, Christ does return. And he says this, verse 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We won't all sleep. But in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and will all be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, um, then the the saying will be true. Firstly, we can see from this that not all will sleep. The point of that is that Jesus will come back in human history, he will come back. Secondly, there's a trumpet call, there's a flash, there's an instant. The transformation of our bodies when we are resurrected is instantaneous. It's not like a plant at this point that needs to grow and slowly make its way up with water and the sun and God doing his thing. It's instant. And the third thing that I want to pick up is the language that Paul uses about being changed and being clothed in being imperishable uh, and immortal. Now, we don't get it in our English Bible, uh, but in the Greek it uses uh, the passive voice for those words. Now, what that means is that something is done to us. We don't do it. It happens to us. We have no involvement other than being the person that it happens to. What that screams out is, it's all God's grace. It is all God's grace, Uh, this whole notion of resurrection. Resurrection. We have absolutely no way of being able to resurrect ourselves. Zero. Not a chance. And we have no right. We have no right to be resurrected. It is only by the grace of God, only by the grace of God, that we can be resurrected, that we can be called to be in Christ. And when the Father sends Jesus again, we will be lavished with His grace again receiving these resurrected bodies, being in the presence of God in His perfected eternal kingdom. And when that happens, in that moment where eternity will go on, it says death will be swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, no Christian is lost to death forever. None. None. By the blessing of being in Marley Mansell's funeral this Tuesday. And they could declare with absolute confidence, and to quote Sammy, he said, We have absolute confidence, not a shadow of a doubt, that we can grieve with hope because God has secured a resurrection to come. We can grieve with hope for the resurrection to come. Now, these verses remind us that the kingdom of God is also now but it's not yet. The kingdom of God has begun, but it's not perfected yet because death still happens. It still has a sting. But when we remember the resurrection of our bodies, it helps guard us against thinking all the blessings and all the promises of God will happen right now. All of them will happen, definitely will happen. But we live in the period of the now and the not yet. Because at times God won't answer our prayers. Not every one of our physical needs will be healed. Not every disease and injustice will be dealt with this time, this side of eternity. We don't have complete and perfect face-to-face relationship with the Father yet. But when we remember that the resurrection is to come, it helps put into context some of the suffering and the frustration that we feel now. It's not that God doesn't care. He certainly does. It's just that his kingdom hasn't fully come yet. But it will. And that's when all the promises and the aspects of his kingdom will come to pass. But Paul has one final word. After all these words, 23 verses, and, and all that was before about the future... He plants it all right back in the present. Verse 58, he says, Therefore, so with everything that we know about the resurrection of our bodies and what that Christ was resurrected, that were in him, my brothers and sisters, he says, affection, love, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Basically, like, keep persevering because it's worth it. Our faith is worth it. Let all this thinking and understanding about the future shape how we live in the present, spurring you on, keeping the faith, persevering. It will be worth it. And we need to remember to not just live for the here and the now. We have an eternal heavenly prize That awaits us. Don't let the fleeting pleasures of this world completely captivate you. To entice you away from God. I know the fight. I know the feeling. And I know you guys know it too. The tide of our society, our culture, the images on our screen, what's just going on in our own bodies and minds is screaming at us. Screaming at us to live in the here and now. To live for your pleasure right now now and it is a conscious subconscious battle we face every day and we rely completely on the holy spirit and reminding each other of the resurrection that's to come reminding us of the lord jesus that he's gone before us to remember to have that eternal perspective and not just have a worldly perspective so please encourage each other encourage me to keep our eyes on the prize To not let the fleeting pleasures of this world captivate us and draw us away from Christ and living and laboring on for Him. Because the things of this life, the worldly things, they will pass away. They will become insignificant. Like when you're 30, if you're there yet, older, you look back at the stresses you had when you were 16 and they don't seem as significant anymore. When we get to heaven, eternity, our life, the worldly things, they will pass away. They become insignificant. Only what we do and labor for Christ counts. Now that's not to say only church ministry or like when you directly share the gospel with someone, only those exact moments count. No, Paul says previously in the letter, in everything you do, do it for the glory of God. But the worldly things, they will pass away. They become insignificant. So please, stand firm. Continue in the faith. And Let all the praise go to God. Please, all the praise go to God for the incredible future reality that is before us. The reality of a transformed body awaits us. So live in the present moment, knowing the certainty of that future reality, standing firm, living out the gospel for the glory of God. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for this glorious future that you've promised us for transformed bodies where we will go from a decaying, perishable body to one that is glorious and imperishable. That is an incredible gift of your grace and your love to us. Thank you, Father. Jesus, thank you for going to that cross to die for our sin, to pay our way, and that you rose again in victory. Thank you. God. please give us determination and perseverance to continue to live out the faith today for all of our days or until you call us home. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.